Hello and welcome to this podcast from Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of the contributors to the current issue. This month, I'm delighted to say my guest is Gilbert Ashkar, who is Professor of Development Studies and International Relations at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, and author most recently of The Arabs in the Holocaust, The Arab-Israeli War of Narratives, published this month. And it is that war of narratives, or propaganda war, which is the subject of his article in the May issue of Le Monde Diplomatique, entitled Blame the Grand Mufti. The Mufti in question was the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Amin al-Husseini, during the Second World War, a supporter of the Nazi regime and a propagandist for it, whose role, Ashkar argues, has been magnified by the Israelis to the extent that the Mufti symbolises a kind of essentialized Arab anti-Semitism, or worse. I began by asking Gilbert Ashkar how important a role propaganda has played in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Propaganda battles are essential uh, uh, in this conflict more than in any other conflict, I should say. They were essential from the very beginning uh, for Israel and before Israel for the Zionist movement because due to its very nature of, uh, you know, being a kind of... uh, colonial project in the Middle East uh, in colonial times, uh, the the Zionist project uh, had to uh, rely upon some external backing. It had to get uh, a green light from colonial powers. And uh, as you know, it was the British green light which uh, allowed the the Zionist project to to move forward. That was the famous uh, declaration by by Lord Balfour uh, in 1917. So all the time, the Zionist movement was keen on cultivating uh, support for its project in the Western world. This concern was was not really present on the Arab side because there there weren't the same kind of motivations, I would say. The uh, Arab side was more uh, self-centered in its uh, approach of the whole issue. And things changed. Mostly, I would say, with the advent of the uh, PLO after 67, when at the same time the 67 war ended somewhat the uh, hopes or illusions, however one wants to call them, Mm. about some uh, liberation between quote marks of Palestine from uh, from the outside, I mean Mm. from the, the, the surrounding countries. And therefore, the Palestinian movement understood that given the balance of power that was demonstrated so vividly in in 67, it definitely needed uh, to fight for uh, the world public opinion. Therefore, the the Arab side started really getting into the the propaganda war. I can give you as a kind of indication of that in 1967. Uh, at the height of the crisis, the um, French review that was edited by Jean-Paul Sartre, the L'État moderne, very well known, uh, issued a, a special uh, dossier on on, uh, on the Israeli-Arab conflict. Well, they explained in the dossier that uh, they, they had a hard time finding uh, Arab contributors. That reveals mm. the lack of uh, real uh, attention and interest and effort on the Arab side until '67 in the propaganda war, which was completely dominated by Israel in the West. Mm. I mean, and Israel had uh, such a very strong profile in, in Western countries, which it maintained actually for, for, for a long time, and this 
as uh, well, I tried to explain, started really deteriorating after the invasion of Lebanon in 1982. Now, you write in the, the, the article about the role played by the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem during the war, and what a, I suppose what a gift that was to Israeli propagandists in the post-war period. Can you say a bit about how he has been seized upon and used in this battle? Well, I should say, first of all, that, uh, of course, he, he played uh, a very abject role during uh, the Second World War. Not in the sense of, I mean, it, had he uh, just, you know, uh, went into some kind of uh, tactical alliance with the Germans and without uh, direct connection, okay, I mean, this you could have said that, of uh, uh, some people uh, have the, the famous reasoning based on the saying that uh, the enemy of my enemy uh, is my friend, and this can be tactical. But uh, nothing of that can really uh, be said in defense of, of, uh, of the Mufti, because he went far beyond any kind of tactical alliance. And actually, he, he collaborated very closely with the Nazis and uh, shared with them the anti-Semitic view of the world that, uh, that they held. And therefore, uh, of course, he is, a, let's say, a very negative uh, figure. And he was seized upon by the Zionist movement, uh, you know, frantically after the, the Second World War. Mm in an attempt to turn him into uh, a symbol for all Palestinians and beyond all Palestinians, all Arabs. And nowadays, I should say, in some of the literature, it's even, one could even say, in all Muslims, you know, yeah. all Muslims are, are uh, in some publications, are targeted uh, through this uh, kind of bogeyman yeah. that uh, the Mufti uh, has become. The idea that is conveyed is that Arabs, Palestinians are basically, uh, you know, in the deep of their hearts, they are Nazis, they are pro-Nazis, and therefore Israel is continuing uh, in some way the, the, the Second World War. I mean, it's con or, the, or what, what has been called, you know, uh, at the time of the beginning of the war on terror, the Third World War mm. against Islamofascism, you know, this kind of rhetoric that uh, uh, the, in the environment of the Bush administration that was very, very much used, and the neocons and all these guys. Well, you know, the figure of the Mufti is convenient to draw a kind of historical scenario that starts with the Mufti or even uh, some, let's say, uh, contemporaries, uh, other contemporaries of the Mufti, like the, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, mm. and ends up with bin Laden and goes through every, every kind of, of, I mean, it's completely incoherent, uh, Nasser, uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, Arafat, uh, secular, religious, whatever, every, everybody is mixed. The only thing they have in common is is that they were uh, considered as enemies of Israel. So it's a rhetoric which fits in with the clash of civilizations narrative, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yes, sure. I mean, uh, as it is now, because the clash of civilizations, I mean, at least in this uh, rhetorical form, is something uh, relatively recent, which uh, dates back to the early 90s, and uh, which was very, very much boosted by 9-11 and uh, what, everything that happened after that. Of course, yes, all this fits into this kind uh, of, uh, of, of framework of demonizing the, the enemy. That's, uh, you know, that's why I'm calling that propaganda war and uh, trying to demonize uh, the, the, the Palestinians, the Arabs, uh, the Muslims, I mean, uh, 
whoever happens to be considered as hostile to, to Western interests and to Israel. Now, you write in the article about a couple of books which have the appearance of being respectable, well-researched academic works and who purvey a similar line about the Arab world's complicity or sympathy with the Holocaust. And I wondered if you saw this sort of academic trend as being one which was was particularly worrying, the, the sort of purveying of information which seems on the face of it to be to be scrupulously researched. Mm. Is, is that something which you think is new and worrying? Yeah, uh, well, let me make it uh, clearer. It's not that they have the appearance. They are partially academic works in mm. the sense that, for instance, you have a couple of books that I mentioned that in their research and findings on German or allied uh, archival material are worthy, I mean, are interesting in the sense that there is some academic value in that. But the same books will combine that with, you know, sweeping statements about the Arabs and the Arab world and all that uh, from authors who, if they know German and English, don't know Arabic and have very little knowledge, are not specialists at all of the Arab world, of its history and its culture and all that, and therefore commit a lot of, of mistakes and say a lot of, you know, purely propaganda things and mix scholarly, uh, I mean, only in English or, or German, but uh, scholarly sources with uh, purely propaganda sources with absolutely no scholarly value. And this, they, they produce this kind of whole the, the mixture, which, uh, of course, uh, impairs a lot uh, the whatever academic uh, dimension there is uh, in their work. And this is very regrettable. I, I'm not disputing the fact, I mean, people are free to have uh, views and defend their views also in academic uh, studies. And uh, I'm surely not uh, one who pretends, you know, to be above any kind of, uh, of battle, you mm. know? No. Yeah. But uh, one has to be uh, scrupulously, you know, honest intellectually. And you defend your views, but you defend your views based on things that you know, and uh, you, you don't put forward sweeping generalizations about uh, uh, areas of studies that you hardly know of. You know. Now, looking at it from the other side, from the Arab perspective, how complex a phenomenon is Holocaust denial in the Arab world? Well, uh, I mean, uh, Holocaust denial, uh, I uh, stress all the time, in the Arab world is not the same as the usual, I would say, Holocaust denial that you find in Western countries, whether mm. in Britain or France or Germany and, of course, the United States, where you have a whole, uh, what I call a Holocaust denial industry. You know, you know the, the formula Holocaust industry, but actually, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not going to discuss this one, but what is certain is that there is a Holocaust denial industry in the sense that you have, you know, books, booklets, publications, and especially now uh, using the Internet, specializing in trying, you know, to, to in the most uh, pathological uh, manner, trying, you know, to explain to you that uh, the Holocaust didn't happen or that there were only uh, one million Jews killed by disease and that uh, there, was, uh, there was no genocide, you know, this kind yeah. of, uh, of uh, idiocies. But uh, this is not the type of Holocaust denial you would find in the Arab world. I mean, very few people care about this kind of literature and, mm. uh, you know, these pseudo uh, demonstrations uh, that you, you find in, in the Western literature. Mm. What you have is a kind of, of epidermic, as I would call it, superficial and Holocaust denial most of the time, 
which is more product of uh, frustration and rage at uh, uh, Israeli violence, at uh, Western double standards in uh, dealing with the Middle East, and, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, so as I said, frustration, I mean by that people, when they see all that, they can't, you know, they, they, they feel impotent, you know, uh, facing all that, then uh, they, you know, conspiracy theory can uh, easily build up, and this will include explaining or thinking that uh, the, the Holocaust was, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, I mean, uh, either a myth or an event that was uh, very much exaggerated by the Zionists for, uh, for political purposes. And some other people would uh, just uh, make Holocaust denial statements, not even for that, for this kind of reason, but just out of, you know, of rage, of anger, of saying, well... Israelis are oppressing us so much that uh, in order to to harm them symbolically, since we can't harm them uh, otherwise, we're going to say the Holocaust uh, did not exist. Well, it's of course quite stupid, I mean, kind of, of reaction, and ultimately, eventually, it, it, it turns counterproductive for the cause of those who think like that. And that's why also I would call that uh, an anti-Zionism of, uh, of fools, because they think that they are fighting Zionism by, by uh, you know, stating such views. But this is, of course, uh, completely the contrary that, uh, that is uh, produced by the, this kind of statement. I mean, there are indications, uh, one of them I explained in the article, uh, of, of how much this kind of Holocaust denial is closely related to the degree of resentment and anger at what Israel is doing. Mm -hmm. And that's how you, 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 for instance, you have very few polls on the issue, but you have, it happens that uh, in Israel they have taken polls among the Arab Israelis, I mean the, the Palestinian holders of Israeli citizenship. And uh, they found that uh, from 20, uh, 2004 to 2006, at a time of uh, heightened tensions uh, and violence and uh, exerted by Israel on the, on the environment, the number or the proportion of Holocaust uh, denial statements in the poll increased in two years from 28%, which already was, uh, I mean, a surprise because it never was that high, but that is due to the in increase in the levels of violence since since Sharon, uh, Ariel Sharon came to power and reinvaded the West Bank in 2001-2002. So between 2004 and 2006, the, the, the proportion jumped from 28% to 40%. Mm. And of course, it doesn't, I mean, you, you can't explain that by saying that people, I don't know, read some, you know, yeah. uh, masterpiece in Holocaust denial literature and became convinced. I mean, it has nothing to do with any conviction. It's just a way of people venting their anger, venting mm. their fr frustration mm. in the only means that they, they, they feel available to them because they, they are so, so, I mean, they've, especially if you take the Palestinians in Israel, I mean, they are submitted to harsh, uh, you know, uh, very harsh feelings uh, of, uh, due to the oppression that, uh, they, that they endure to the, the, and uh, the way that, I mean, the, the built-up, uh, the built-in racism in the Israeli society that many Israeli authors actually have denounced and all that. Mm. So th this frustration leads to such statements. I mean, I suppose in that sense, there is something optimistic about what you're saying. If these are tactical positions rather than ones which are deeply internalized. But I, I wanted to ask you finally, if you think there is a danger that, that even these positions which may be held for tactical reasons may become 
um, entrenched and and people may begin to actually take to heart on both sides their own propaganda. I'm glad you said bo both sides because on the other side, another uh, issue that I keep saying, I mean, uh, of course, Holocaust denial is both a stupid and ultimately abject thing. But when people who do not belong to any of the populations that were involved, you know, in the in the Holocaust, deny the Holocaust. As I said, it's not the same as a German denying the Holocaust. Uh, I mean, a Palestinian denying the Holocaust is not to be put at the same level as a German denying the Holocaust. Of course, the German denying the Holocaust would be, a, or even the French denying the Holocaust would be a much more, uh, how to say, dangerous kind of, of, uh, of figure. Now, it so happens that, I mean, there is also a, a, another kind of denial the, pertaining to the, I mean, the same uh, conflict, which is in Israel, and this is state denial, actually, of the Nakba, that is, of mm. the tragedy of the Palestinians. Mm. Again, the Nakba is no genocide, fortunately, but uh, uh, it, it is a very serious prejudice that, I mean, very serious uh, injustice uh, committed uh, against the, the Palestinian people, and uh, they are still suffering from that. I mean, there are still uh, a huge proportion of them living uh, in refugee camps and all that. And the state of Israel denied, uh, very officially, its role in the Nakba. So, so this denial is more serious than the denial by Palestinians or Yemenis uh, of the Nazi uh, Holocaust, you know, that took place in, Ger in I mean, in uh, na uh, German invaded uh, countries, I mean, in mm. Poland and all that. I mean, the, the status of, of both kinds of denials is different. Now, this said, to turn, to come back to your uh, question, uh, I, I do not think that Holocaust denial is something deeply rooted. As I explained, it's a very shallow, superficial, epidermic kind mm almost a kind of allergic kind yeah. of reaction in the yeah. Arab world to, yeah. to what is happening. But, I mean, as the polls I mentioned uh, showed, uh, it, 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 it shot up amazingly quickly, and in the same way it can collapse as fast. I mean, uh, what it takes, uh, as I said recently in an interview in Yediota Haronot, the, the main Israeli daily, told them, I mean, if, if Israel changed its policy and reverted to, to a policy of constructive uh, peace, you know, uh, peaceful approaches and all that, uh, and also if Israel, for instance, uh, acknowledged its historic responsibility in the, in the Nakba, as the Israeli negotiators in Taba early 2001 uh, were prepared to do, the whole atmosphere would change, and you, you can be sure that Holocaust denial kind of statements would recede uh, a lot. They will uh, still exist as they exist in the West, on the fringe, mm. on the margin, but uh, much uh, weaker than uh, what uh, they came to become during the last uh, 20 years. Gilbert Ashkar. You can read his article, Blame the Grand Mufti, in the May 2010 edition of Le Monde Diplomatique. It's available both in print and online at mondediplo.com. On the website, subscribers can also explore a complete archive of the paper, and there are also blogs, maps, images, and previous podcasts online. Full details of how to subscribe are on the website too. That's all until the next podcast early next month, so thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.